a lot and don't actually imagine what it's like. And that is spiritual warfare. See, this whole book of Matthew, this whole series that we're doing is about the kingdom, right? And we would love to think that the kingdom of God is right now even always this peaceful place where nothing can go wrong. But we're not at that section yet. We're not at eternity. We're still here on earth. And right now, we are a kingdom at war. And spiritual battles rage all around. And we get an incredible opportunity in these passages of Scripture here this morning to look into the greatest preparation for war and then the battle that rages. And we're going to see how Satan, the enemy himself, comes and tempts Jesus, but how Jesus overcomes those temptations and how we can learn from his example. And so, <laughs> I, thought this was, I thought this was an interesting way to think about this beginning here. You know, countless Americans especially, I'm sure people in other parts of the world, sure, but especially us here in the West, in America, we're constantly distracted by thoughts that when it really comes down to it, don't matter, right? They're not necessarily bad thoughts, right? Um, but we're really always wondering what's the next big Netflix series that's coming out. Some people are concerned with what's trending on social media. Um, I know, uh, having been with a lot of teenagers, some of them are concerned when the next shoes are coming out. Um, some people are concerned when, no matter what it is, our thoughts are wrapped into those things. Some people are so concerned with the royal family, and especially with what happened last year, a lot more people were concerned with the royal family, right? I think Alex was up here one time and was saying, like, I, I care that the queen passed away, obviously, but other than that, I don't really care what happens with the royal family. I know it's important for other people in other parts of the world, but I live in easily. <laughs> so it doesn't affect me that much. But people's minds get distracted onto these things. Well, what about people that aren't living in peaceful times right now? Think about people in Ukraine right now, whose uh, area has been surrounded by war for the last while now. Do you think their thoughts, when they get up in the morning, are always as distracted by things as ours are here? No. Their, their minds are going to much other things because their minds are in a state of wartime, not peacetime. And see, one of the biggest tactics that Satan loves to do is not necessarily to destroy us, even though he wants to more than anything, but praise God, he can't. <laughs> but you know what he wants to do? Distract us. Because a still Christian is an ineffective Christian. And if we only live like we are always in a time of peace, then we're never going to really be fulfilling the potential that God wants us to do for the kingdom. We need to understand that right now, we live in a kingdom at war. And we have to understand that. There's uh, the, the big question I want us to take away from this is, Satan's going to attack us with temptations in our life. He's going to attack us with this, these things that try to either get us to be stagnant or get us to actively sin against God and not fulfill his will for our lives. So the question is, if we're going to face these temptations, then how can we resist the temptations of the enemy? If he's going to attack us, and don't get me wrong with this, he is a powerful enemy. The Bible portrays him as that. I don't want us to be afraid of him because we serve the one who created our enemy, but he is a powerful enemy. He's a crafty and a smart 
enemy, and he's going to send these temptations our way. So how do we resist them? Well, the two like, the main things I want us to see here is that we have to have a wartime mentality. We can't just act like he's not there. <laughs> that doesn't make it go away. If the people of Ukraine, many of them probably wish that the Russian forces would just disappear, but that's not going to happen. They're there, and they have to prepare for it. We have to understand that we are in a wartime mentality. But then we resist the enemy's temptations by knowing the word and trusting the Lord. These are the things I want us to see. And the first thing I want us to see, though, is how Jesus himself was prepared for this. What an incredible start to this as we see the baptism of Jesus. Look with me again at chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is what happens right after last week's sermon. John had prepared the way, and he had talked about that there's one coming after me who's so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals, (laughs) right? He's so much better than me. And then what happens next? Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus shows up, and then Jesus tells John, I want you to baptize me. And we can kind of understand John's hesitation here, right? John's here baptizing people, preparing for the Messiah. And then here comes the one that John's like, hey, this is him. Here is the Messiah. And that Messiah is like, okay, John, baptize me. Wait a minute. Why does Jesus need baptizing? Especially when then he says, no, we need to do this for all righteousness to be fulfilled. Especially when we think about what we talked about last Sunday, when Alex was talking about what John's baptism was about, that it's a baptism for repentance of sins. But had Jesus sinned? Was Jesus going to sin? No. But Alex also talked about last week that John's baptism wasn't just for repentance of sin, it was also to align our hearts in a lifestyle of following the Father's will. And that's what Jesus was doing. But see, it's even more than that. Me and, me and Alex sat in, in my office this week, and we just had a way too long conversation because we just, we, we geek out over this stuff, right, Alex? And we just, it's, it's fun to have multiple pastors because we just sat and we just talked about how amazed we were at this point because I want you to think about this because the other main reason that Jesus was baptized wasn't for him. He didn't need to be baptized. He did it for us. Jesus when he stepped into the waters of repentance that he didn't need it, the reason was he did it was so that he would identify with us, his children. He looked at us and said, they need repentance. And I am the son of God, but I'm also the son of man. And I'm going to step in in their place and identify with them in their sin so that they can identify with my righteousness. And when he would die on the cross, he would become sin. 
The Bible says he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what a beautiful thing to then flip that on its head. Now when we get baptized, we accept Christ as our Savior, we find that repentance, we go under the waters of baptism, and what are we doing? It's a symbol. I'm identifying with the death of Christ. That's what it means to go under the waters. And then when I come back up, I identify with the resurrection of Christ. Jesus was baptized to identify with us, and now we get baptized to identify with him. What a wonder that he stepped down to do that for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And church, let's start there. Because before you become the, a soldier for Christ, as we sang about, right? Before God can be your shield that we sang about in the choir, right? That I about needed a nap after singing that song and preaching. Joseph, thanks for coming up and doing the sermon <laughs> scripture passage and um, giving me a breather. Before those things can happen... We need his righteousness. He has to be the imputer of that righteousness on our hearts. We can't just step into the world and say, you know what, I feel pretty godly. I'm going to go fight against Satan. No, there's nothing righteous in you or in me or in Alex that we can stand up before the enemy and especially stand before God one day. No, we need the righteousness of God. And that only comes through identifying with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So what a joy that he identified with us in his baptism. Don't you wish you could, I love that we get this, but don't you wish you could just see that picture, right, of Jesus being baptized by John. Imagine what that felt like for John. I could rant about that for a little bit longer, but I won't. And then, notice what happens immediately after. Jesus gets baptized, he comes up, and then heaven gets opened up. And it says that the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove, and the Father speaks from the throne. And what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is him. The Father speaks from heaven, and he is now, especially, remember, we're going through Matthew here. Matthew has been identifying Jesus as these different things. He was the son of Adam. He was the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. But now, most importantly, the father speaks and says, he's my son. This is my one. My son in whom I'm pleased. This is the one I am sending. But then what happens next? If any of you know Hey, who, who in here, just raise a hand, has, has ever felt, don't be embarrassed, this is a good thing, a spiritual high point in your life? Maybe it was after, like right after salvation. Maybe it was you took a trip to a conference or something, and you, when you walked away from that thing, you felt like you could go, like um, my old, one of my old pastors used to say, storm the gates of hell with a squirt gun, right? Like you, that's just how you felt. You ever felt that way before, right? Anytime you ever feel that way, be prepared, <laughs> Because that's when the enemy loves to come and knock us down a peg, or at least try. The very next thing in Matthew 4, verse 1 uh, and 2, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Amen. <laughs> and then the tempter came to him. We'll, we'll get to what the temptation is in a second. We can't afford to miss the significance of what's really going on here. 
Okay? Jesus was just identified as the Son of God. The one who's coming to save the, the humanity from their sins. And now, that's going to be tested. So now Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested, to see if he's going to be, uh, remain faithful and be the one that he is supposed to be. The other previous ones, the other sons, failed. The Bible called Adam a son of God. Well, did Adam do well in our scripture reading this morning? No, he failed. Israel was later called a son of God. Did Israel do a good job of obeying God and his laws? Not even close, right? And so now we have Jesus, and is he going to do it? And we thought this was awesome. This is another thing that uh, me and Alex talked about a lot um, in, in the preparation of this. Is this clear that this is what's going on? Because Matthew does something really cool. He structures these first parts of his book in paralleling Jesus with the experiences of Israel. Have you caught this? We thought this was awesome. He's repeating and reliving Israel's history, but showing himself faithful. Think about it. Pharaoh kills all the male children among the Israelites, but Moses makes it out. What happens with Jesus? Herod kills all the male children, but Jesus survives. Israel is called out of Egypt by God. Jesus was called out of Egypt with his family by God. Immediately after Israel left Egypt, they passed through the waters of the Red Sea to find safety from Pharaoh's troops. What does Jesus do? He goes through the waters of baptism. Right after the Red Sea and their seemingly salvation, they go into the wilderness. And what happens in the wilderness for Israel? They get tempted constantly by the enemy to disobey God. What happens with Jesus? Immediately he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the enemy. Israel failed in their job. But Jesus is going to be faithful. In church, we're going to learn from his example because it's our job now. We're now the ones at war. We're in the wilderness, George's Creek, and we're tempted every day. So how can we face these temptations? See, I want to start with this because Satan is very crafty. He's very smart. And there's, there's two things I do have. If you are taking notes, I don't have an insert, and I apologize for that. There's plenty of blank space in your bulletins if you want to take notes. But I want to make sure we see these tactics that our enemy has. If we're going to be proper soldiers, we need to know our enemy. And this is one of the first things that I want us to understand about the enemy. The enemy always strikes at the most opportune time. Now, whatever that opportune time for you might be different from me, but especially the time that Jesus is facing here is something that we're always weak at. He was alone. For 40 days and 40 nights, we all struggle when we're alone. There's no one around to see what I'm doing, what I'm saying, what I'm thinking. It's just you, your thoughts, and God. And he had been alone for a while, and he was preparing himself for something difficult. And this is when Satan comes and attacks. But he was also hungry and weak, too, right? You know, who, who could blame him? Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Most of us get sinfully angry by the end of a service when we preach too long <laughs> and we're starting to get hungry and want to know when lunch is coming. We crave instant gratification, right? Could Jesus have turned stones into bread? Sure, he was able to do that, but that would have gone against what the Spirit had led him to do. So Satan attacks Jesus at this time. I, I actually thought of this next point. If you want to write this down, I don't have it on the screen, but I want this to come, like, I want this to be ingrained in our hearts here this morning, 
The other, the other thing that Satan always does when he's going to tempt us, this is what he starts with. He leads with a question. He leads with a question, and I want to tell you why he does this. Did you notice that that's what he did in the very first temptation of humanity? What was his words to Adam and Eve in the garden? Did God really say? What are his first words to Jesus here? If you really are the Son of God. See, Satan, when he tempts us, he always leads with a question. Is anyone really going to notice? Student, is anyone really going to notice if you cheat on the Scantron test? Right? Is anyone really going to notice if you don't file your taxes just right? Is anyone really going to see? Is God really going to care? Is he really going to judge me if I? He always leads with a question, and you want to know why? Because it puts the ball in our court. Because then when we answer that question, we choose to sin. Because I want us to understand that too. Every time we sin, we cannot blame the devil. We blame ourselves. Every sin is a willful rebellion against a righteous God. So Satan leads with a question. And it's always when we are weak. And so I want to talk about these three ways that Jesus questioned Jesus in his relationship to his Father. So in this first one, Satan was questioning Jesus' trust in the Father. He's questioning Jesus' trust in the Father. See, Jesus had just been baptized and the Father called him the beloved Son, but Satan leads off with what question? If you really are the Son of God, then why don't you just turn these stones into bread and help yourself? Satan's temptations, like I said, were the same for Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say that you couldn't eat of any of the trees from the garden? Surely God wouldn't impose a rule like that. Come on, Jesus, if you really were God's son, then he wouldn't expect you to starve out here, right, Jesus? He'd provide you with some food. So I'm sure he's not too pleased with this, or you must not be too pleased if this is how he's going to treat you. So go ahead and treat yourself to some magic bread. You've earned it, Jesus. See, this is one of the other things he does. Man, we could just talk for forever, right? But this is one of Satan's biggest tactics, that he loves to invert what God has made. One thing to know about Satan, too, he can't create. He is not God. All he does is twist. Is bread a sinful thing? No. Is food a sinful thing? No. It's a good thing, praise God. But Satan's taking it here, and he's twisting it. And he's trying to get Jesus to use a good thing to commit a sin against what the Father's will was. See, Jesus was using this time to fast and prepare. The reason Jesus wasn't eating bread wasn't because bread was bad. It's because he was fasting and preparing himself for the incredibly arduous journey that he was about to face. And for him to selfishly use his deity as God to make bread appear would show that he might not really trust the Father's plan for him. So Jesus looks at him and says, No, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And isn't that true for us today, church? We're not called to make it through this life just on physical things. Those physical things in and of themselves might not even be bad. But if I try to amass wealth, power, and fame during my lifetime, all of those things can fade. I could even try to use all of those things for God's glory, right? But all of those things can fade, and none of them will matter in eternity. Yes, when I'm hungry, I'll eat food, but that's not what truly sustains me. Only the word 
of God can truly sustain me in ways that earthly things could never even compare. And if we truly understand that, then we can find it much easier to put our trust in the words of this book, the words of the Father, and to find the uh, success over those temptations that Satan leads our way. But Satan doesn't stop there. He continues. It says, Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here, Satan tries a different tactic. First, he questioned Jesus' trust in the Father. Now he trusts Jesus, or questions Jesus' faith in the Father. Does Jesus really have faith that the plan the Father has for him is actually going to come to fruition? Remember, Jesus is preparing for this journey that's not going to be easy. The road of the Messiah is a road of pain and suffering. The road that we're called to take as Christians is a road of suffering. It's a road of trials. And that's what Jesus is preparing himself for. And it was going to require a lot of faith. And we'll get more into this in the other, in the next temptation. But one of the things here is he's trying to get Jesus to, he could try to take a much easier route to being the Messiah. He's standing on top of the temple. This is where, by the way, the Jewish people, most of them were expecting their Messiah to one day appear and arrive on the scene. That one day this great leader would appear here and rise up into power and say, it's me, I'm taking over, we're going to lead the way. And if Jesus had jumped down and angels appeared from heaven and guided him safely to the ground, you think some people might notice in Jerusalem. Might have made things a little simpler. But that wasn't the way of the Messiah. But it's not only that. Notice what Jesus says to Satan. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The other thing that Satan was trying to get Jesus to question God here, you know what? Let's see if I actually have faith that God's going to protect me. You're the son, right, Jesus? The father just said that he's real proud of you, that he's real pleased of you. Surely he's not going to let you get hurt, (laughs) right? So why don't you jump down from here? Because And and notice, by the way, Satan quoted Scripture. Now, he twisted it way out of context, (laughs) but he quoted Scripture here. Don't miss that. Satan knows this book. We're going to get back to this at the end of this this sermon, but Satan knows this book, and he might know it better than some of us (laughs) in here. And the reason he knows it is so that he can twist and lie his way into our hearts and get it wrong. And so he twists it here even to Jesus. Go ahead, Jesus. God's not even going to let you stub your toe. On a rock. So just jump down. I bet God, of course, is going to save you. This might sound silly to us, but a lot of times we try to employ God in the same way, don't we? We treat God like a magical genie in the sky. I've seen way too many students, especially in my decade of youth ministry, end up walking away from the faith because of theology like this. They treat God like this. They'll say, God, if you're really there, then you'll do this for me. God, if you would just make a shooting star appear in the sky right now, right, then I'll do this thing that you want me to do. God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't take my loved one away from me with this illness. 
Or we twist it in a more selfish and sinful way, right? Where we say, you know, God, it really feels right to me that I should be able to do this in my life. This has become way more popular in in the liberal churches in America where people who feel that they are homosexual, that they say, well, because I truly feel this way, God must be okay with it. So God, if you really do love me, you must be okay with this. And it becomes this genie mentality that we look at God as if we're somebody and we say, God, you better match up to my expectations. (laughs) Right? If I were to jump from here... You better catch me. Don't, please don't go jump from our steeple. Can, can we even get to our steeple? Like, I've always wanted to get, okay, whatever. But don't, <laughs> distraction moment. Anyway, <laughs> the ADD is very strong. But we can't treat God like this. Jesus looks at Satan and says, don't put God to the test. Look, there are plenty of evidences in the world and in our lives of God's faithfulness to us, right? The Bible says that we literally have to be blind to not see the truth of the existence and love of our God. But there's always going to be moments in our life that require faith without sight. There's always going to be those moments. As you can ask any person who's ever been called to the ministry, especially people who might have walked away from other jobs. They didn't know what that path was going to lead. Look at what Abraham had to do. God literally speaks to Abraham and says, hey, pack your stuff, get going that way. <laughs> I've got a great land for you. <laughs> I can't imagine, like there was probably a moment where Abraham's like, where is it? <laughs> and God's like, it's that way, get walking. Okay, God. And by faith, Abraham went, right? We have to have faith in God. And Jesus didn't view the Father as a genie that would keep him safe at all times. Jesus knew that this journey would require pain, and it would require hardship, and he had enough faith in the Father to do it anyway. But then, one last try, one last try from Satan. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. But then Jesus said to him, don't you love this part, be gone, Satan, For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and angels came and were ministering to him. This last one, this time, Satan questions Jesus' commitment to the Father. All right, fine, Jesus. You're the Son. You're saying you're going to stay trusting in the Father. You're going to keep your faith in the Father. But how committed are you really to this? See, what I believe was Satan's main distraction here is this. He wanted Jesus to take the easy way out. Jesus, that road you're about to walk is going to be real hard. People are going to hate you. People are going to stone you. People are going to mock you and spit on you. They're going to whip you. You might even die. Jesus, you're the son of God. Why would you go through all that? I've got another plan for you. What if, now hear me out, Jesus, what if just this once, You bow down and worship me. Just do that. Just do that this once. And you know what? I'll back off. All the rest of the world, all the kingdoms, I'll say, you know what? You can have them. I'll have gotten what I wanted. I'll make it easy for you. But is that the will of the Father? Is that the plan that the Messiah is supposed to go through 
No. See, Satan is offering Jesus the crown without the cross. He's saying to Jesus, you can have all of this. You just don't have to die. See, again, Satan knows what he's doing here. If God's plan of redemption goes through, then his plan for destruction fails. The Messiah can't die. So Jesus, why go through all that? That sounds awful. Why don't you just take the easy way out and do this? You don't need the whole cross and grisly crucifixion. You can have it the easy way. But church, that's not the path of Jesus. See, Satan does the same thing for us though. No, our goal isn't to die for the salvation of others, but our goal is to identify with Jesus, to be Jesus to the lost of the world. And that takes a special kind of commitment to follow God no matter what. And Satan would love to see us take the easy way, especially with how we worship and serve God. I want this little mini point here. God cares about how we worship him. See, Satan wanted Jesus to worship him, even just this once, but God cares very deeply about how we worship him. And we can't take another route because it's easier for us if it goes against what God's word is. We even see examples about this in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that Israel failed in this. Remember when Israel was traveling and they get to Mount Sinai, Moses goes up on the mount to talk to God. He's up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and Israel gets concerned. And they go, you know what? They talk, they talk to Aaron, Moses' brother. They say, you know what? We don't actually know what happened to Moses. Maybe he's dead. So why don't you create for us a God for us to worship? And Aaron, in foolishness in that moment, builds an idol. And he even tries, don't miss this, in that passage, he tells the people, let's make sacrifices and offer up prayers to Yahweh, to the true God, through this idol, through this golden calf. And even though he was trying to tell them to worship God in that way, God's punishment on them was severe because that's not how God demanded to be worshipped. Later on, one of Israel's early kings named Jeroboam would do something similar. The kingdom had split, and now he had Israel, but his rival king, Rehoboam, had Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem was the temple where all of the Israelites were required to go multiple times a year to make sacrifices for redemption. And so that meant at least once or twice a year, Jeroboam's people would have to leave and go worship there in his other rival kingdom. So he thought, you know what? Let's make it easier for you, Israel. What if I create two new altars? I'm going to pick these cities, Dan and Bethel. I'll make new altars there with some idols, and you can go there and offer your worship of Yahweh there. It's the easy way out. But that wasn't what God wanted, and it wasn't what God commanded And his punishment on Jeroboam was also great. God cares about our worship and our service. Jesus told Satan to be gone because he was here to do the Father's will and nothing else. Jesus wasn't here to serve his own needs. I mean, even when he was starving in the wilderness, he didn't use his deity to provide for himself with bread. He was only here to do and serve the Father. Is that our goal with our life? Are we only existing here to serve the Father? Yes, Alex and I and Joseph and our deacons, we're here to serve you as a church body, but you don't know why we're doing it? Because that's how we serve the Father. That's how we show our worship of Him. Whatever you do for a job or for a living or if you're still a student, is every decision you make 
focused on being committed to worshiping and serving God. Because that's what we're called to do. So church, let's remember, we are at war. Our Satan is coming at our, our enemy, Satan, is coming at us with temptations to question our trust, faith, and commitment to the Father. We see that Jesus won, and we can find victory the exact same way. Because what did Jesus do? What did he use as his tool? He used Scripture. He used God's Word. This is your tool. This is our offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. This is what we use, which means something, church. We got to know it. We got to know what this book says. And I don't just mean the little simple stories that we grow up learning in Sunday school that even most lost people on the street are probably familiar with. Not that that's not a good place to start. As Christians, if we're going to identify with Christ, we need to know this intimately. We need to know it so deeply that like when Jesus, uh, when Jesus was tempted, he didn't whip out the Pentateuch and open to the right passage in Deuteronomy. No, he knew it. By the time Jesus was a 12-year-old boy, he was in the temple amazing the scribes in there with how much he knew about the Bible. That's how we should be. We have to train with this every single day because if you're going to properly wield this weapon of God, then we have to train with it. We can't step out on the battlefield against these temptations and lift up a Bible and say, it's okay, I can beat this, I've got a Bible, but do you know it? And listen, just maybe once or twice a week from me and Alex isn't enough. You've got to know it for yourself. It's not enough for me and Alex. We have to take our time to open it and study it and dig into it and train with it so that we're prepared when the temptations come. So my challenge to us is this. Are we prepared? Because like it or not, we're at war. Our enemy's there. He's coming. There's, there's temptations coming. You're probably going to have a temptation hit you before uh, today is over. Are we prepared? Have we trained in God's word? Are we ready? I hope that you are. And so as we move into this time of, of prayer, of invitation, I, wanna, I want to remind us of a couple things. That first off, if you aren't prepared at all yet, maybe you haven't found the righteousness of God. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Jordan, I, I, I don't even feel like I'm ready at all. I haven't trusted Christ as my Savior in the first place. Well, know that today is the day of salvation. You don't have to wait. You can get that settled today. If you are a Christian and you've been struggling with temptations hitting you, the questions that Satan keeps throwing at you keep weighing heavy on your heart, then and you know that there's some changes you need to make. You can do that this morning. Whether you stay in your pews, whether you come to the altar, whether you pray with me, either way is fine. But get that settled with God today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And God, we pray that as we recognize that we are in a time of war, a time of battle, God, that you would help us to be prepared. We thank you that you identified with us through baptism, but also through being tempted. Your word says that Jesus was tempted in every way known to man. God, so that we can identify with you, we can relate to you, and look at the way you overcame. God, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning who has not trusted Christ as their Savior, that they would get that settled today. 
But for those of us who do know you, God, that you would help us to strengthen ourselves, to take a more serious approach of training in your word so that we can be prepared in these battles. God, we pray your blessings on the rest of this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be down front. If anyone wants to pray, or again, you can stay right